So we're going to be in the Gospel of Luke. If you have your Bibles with you, please open them to uh, Luke 21. We will be in verses 5 to 24 today. Long passage. Uh, Long, amazing passage. And so what I'm going to do is what we normally do here at the church. Um, I want to read this whole passage. Sometimes when it's this long, won't do that just for time's sake. But this morning I want to read it. These are mostly Jesus' words uh, uh, just exactly about 36 hours before his crucifixion. It's been a long week. It's been an amazing week. So read with me beginning in verse 5. I'll read the verses and then we'll pray one more time. And while some were speaking of the temple, how it was adorned with noble stones and offerings, he, Jesus, said, As for these things that you see, the days will come when there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And they asked him, Teacher, when will these things be, and what will be the sign when these things are about to take place? And he said, See that you are not led astray. For many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and the time is at hand. Do not go after them. And when you hear of wars and tumults, do not be terrified, for these things must first take place, but the end will not be at once. Then he said to them, nations will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes and in various places famines and pestilences, and there will be terrors and great signs from the heaven. But before all this, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you delivering you up to synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. This will be your opportunity to bear witness. Settle it therefore in your minds not to meditate beforehand how you're going to answer, for I will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. Hmm. You will be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives, and friends, and some of you they will put to death. You will be hated by all for my namesake, but not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance you will gain your lives. But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation has come near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains, and let those who are inside the city depart, and let not those who are in the country enter it, for these are days of vengeance to fulfill all that is written. Alas for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, for there will be great distress upon the earth and wrath against this people. They will fall by the edge of the sword and be led captive among all nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, um, yeah, once again, Lord, we are grateful. We are grateful to be uh, your children, to be able to be here today as your children, gathered together as the church, whether in person or online. We're just grateful, Lord, that we know you. We're grateful that we know that you are a good and loving and just God. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this this day in history. We thank you for your boldness, and we thank you for the truth that you preached. We thank you for these prophecies that we know came true. 
Uh, Holy Spirit, I just pray today that you would help us. <laughs> help me. The, the, these are hard words. This is a, a challenging sermon that Jesus preached. So I pray that you would help me with the words so that our hearts can be stilled, our hearts can be comforted, and can be encouraged from this story and this prophecy that Jesus gave. So Lord, we just thank you for this time together, and I just want to pray your blessings upon it. In Jesus' worthy name I pray, amen. Needed to pray that, i got to tell you. I've been studying this, I've studied this before in the past. We went through the Gospel of Matthew a number of years ago as a church, arrived at Matthew 24. It's, it's Matthew's uh, rep, uh, recalling of this same event, um, uh, and so we've been through this. I'm familiar with it, but it doesn't matter how familiar, might, familiar you might be with it. You come to it each time humbled by the fact that these are, these are stern words. These are true words. And so what are we going to learn here today? So the challenge for me here today, quite frankly, and the challenge for you here today is to, is to not turn this into some kind of seminary uh, lecture. Because that, that's the, the sense that we need to go into, and that, that's what sometimes happens when this is opened up. This is what has been termed the Olivet Discourse. Um, it is recorded, as I mentioned, in um, versions of it in the Gospel of Mark and in Matthew and, of course, here in Luke. And there's this great consistency, a few, again, little flavor differences and highlight differences in each gospel, but all saying and, and prophesying the same thing from the words of Jesus. And they all lead basically to the same conclusion. Now, we're not going to see the conclusion to this sermon this morning exactly because it actually will pick it up next week. Jesus will conclude it next week. But essentially, the conclusion is this. Jesus prophesies. He predicts with precision, the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem, which was fulfilled in 70 AD, approximately 35 years after he's saying these things. Then the destruction of Jerusalem itself followed that in that same summer. And so again, these things came true. The Jewish historian Josephus, he records this event with great detail in his, his writings, his historical writings, and he makes the point that Approximately one million people in the city of Jerusalem were killed on the day the temple was destroyed by the Romans. And, and that number was that large on that day because, again, like the week that Jesus is preaching this and teaching this, it was Passover week. So people were there to celebrate God and to celebrate the Passover. And then this came upon them. So Jesus prophesied, he predicted that these two things would happen, and look, we, we know this is true. They did. This is not some mystical story or fable that's been written up. It's history. It actually happened. And then as we'll see next week, and I'm sure most of you already know, Jesus will predict his second coming, right? He will predict that, and he will also give us a hint of when that might be, kind of, sort of. I won't get into that, but because we know that no one will know the time or hour precisely, but he gives us a hint. So, so to start then, I, I would like us to see a few things and understand a few things. One of the predictions he made on that day to his disciples, he made in a slightly different way uh, and context to the Pharisees. Some of you might remember it early in his ministry. John records it in his gospel, and, and it's put this way. Jesus looking at the temple, 
just outside the temple, looking at the temple with the Pharisees in front of him, again questioning him, questioning his authority and all these things that they like to do, Jesus said these words. He said, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. (laughs) The Jews said to him, it has taken 46 years to build this temple and you will raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body, John adds. And so what we should understand is this. They all thought in that day, the religious Pharisees, of course, but even Jesus' disciples on the day that we're reading in Luke, they thought that maybe, just maybe, he was kidding. You know, (laughs) you're being a little facetious, right? Or maybe he was losing it, right? You're going to tear down this temple that's taken like 46 years to build, and you're going to raise it up. Now, later, John could add this note, because he'd seen him resurrected from the dead. And so they all thought, man, you've got to be kidding. This beautiful, massive, gorgeous building that God has allowed us to have where we can come and worship the God of the universe is going to be destroyed? You've got to be kidding. Well, listen, we, got, we do know this is true. Again, I've said it twice now, but for the third time, both of these prophecies that Jesus made here literally came true in history. The last, his second coming, we will learn about next Sunday, is yet to come. So, for a baseball metaphor, for some of you who are into baseball, he so far is two for two, right? And he's coming up to the plate again. And what do you think? Is he going to be three for three? Is he coming again? as he said he would? Well, actually, he was even three for three in those days. Because as we saw in these verses here, he predicted to them that the temple of his body would be destroyed, crucified, and buried, and risen on the third day. And that happened too. So actually, he's three for three. So finally, before we look at this text, let me also speak to two aspects about prophecy that are really important to understand, and this is where we're going to get into more of the the practical and the lesson for today rather than that seminary lecture in end times prophecy or eschatology, but there's really two aspects to prophecy in general and specifically this prophecy. Now, theologians, as I'm suggesting, have wrestled with what is called eschatology, the study of end times for 2,000 years (laughs) since the ascension of Jesus. And when you consider the prophecies in the Bible that are found in Daniel, uh, yes, in in Mark and Matthew 24 and here in Luke 21, uh, the reality is that there are more than one view of how this is all going to work out. And so we're not going to get into that too deeply today, but what we need to do is we need to understand this. There are two things we do know for certain. Two things. First of all, we know this. The world... And its system as we know it is going to end. That's a certainty. All of the prophecies point to that, including the one that we read today from Jesus. And the second thing that we know, or at least we should know, is that Jesus will come again. And when he comes again, he will usher in the end of this age and then a new beginning. Now, the second aspect is this, and is what we will look at this morning, and it's the key, I hope, to show you. Whenever you see Bible, uh, prophecy in the Bible, it's always speaking about or to about two things. 
future events, yes. Future events that are prophesied, are predicted, and will come true, yes. But also, and this is important, prophecy is about the present. It's about the here and now. It's, it's literally, especially for the 12 that Jesus is preaching and teaching this to on the Mount of Olives, it's about the future, but it's also about the here and now. So ultimately, it's about here and now. It's about how we as Christians are to live out our lives in light of the gospel, in light of the future predictions, and in light of the present realities. So, with that as your preamble and introduction, let's, let's have a look. Let's have a look at some of the verses, not all, but some of them from today's texts. I'll put verses 4 and 5 on screen, and we'll have a look at that. And it says, while some were speaking of the temple, how it was adorned with noble stones and offerings, Jesus said, as for these things that you see, the days will come when there will not be one left here, one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. So we need to remember that in our previous story, just, just recently, it could have been just hours before, Jesus has been uh, having a little bit of a huddle up with his disciples as they sat there and they watched all of the rich people walking by the offering jars, giving out of their abundance. And then there was this woman who came by, this poor widow who put in her two small copper coins. And there were lots of lessons that we learned from that, but really what Jesus wanted his disciples to see, and we learned this last week, or the main idea that I pointed out to you was this. As he's been teaching them all along, he wants, to, he wants them to understand they must beware of the love of money, of the love of greed, that it has a, a tremendous power over people and the potential to become an idol even in their own lives and therefore get them off the mission and get more, make them more concerned about their lives and their, their wealth and their success. So see this here as immediately following that story, and they're heading out of the temple on their way to the Mount of Olives, and they look at Jesus and they go, isn't this a gorgeous building? <laughs> look at it. It's adorned with beautiful jewels, and isn't it amazing? And they've just had this lesson about the rich and the poor. And they're, they're talking about this building in such ideological ways, and they're looking at it in that way. And it's interesting how Jesus responds. I mean, the, listen, the, the historians will also tell you that this building was beautifully adorned. And in, fact, in fact, one wall was actually solid, like in the sense that it wasn't just a foil. It was, it was several inches thick of gold. One whole wall of this temple uh, gate was, was made of gold. And what was told about it was that on a really bright, sunny morning, it would literally blind half the people in Jerusalem because of the reflection. Gold. A lot of money. So Jesus' response here then, I believe, is twofold. It's again a subtle rebuke of materialism. <laughs> Why are you looking at that building in such an admirable way and lifting that building up in that way? But secondly, of course, it was prophetic. It's going to be reduced, all of its beauty, every little bit of it, to rubble. And all of those lovely stones and the gold will be pillaged, will be stolen. So at this point, they now ask Jesus a question. 
They say, teacher, the disciples say, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when these things are about to take place? So they're now asking a question. We've been seeing this all week, right? The, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, they've all been asking Jesus questions, mostly in order to trap him. So this question is uh, different in the sense that they're asking basically two things. They've heard him say this. They know prophecy when they hear it, and they know that he's prophesying. He's making a prediction. And so they ask the two questions of a prophet that you should ask. And their questions basically are, when will these things be, these things, these details, and then what will be the signs? Prophecies always come with signs. And so then Jesus goes on and says, well, his response right away, look at what it says. He says, see that you're not led astray. For many will come in my name saying, I am he, and the time is at hand. Do not go after them. And when you hear of wars and tumults, do not be terrified, for these things must first take place. But the end will not be at once. Those words are important. Because again, they, they were looking for him to become the king now, right? And so he's making sure that they understand that everything he said in these prophecies is not all going to happen all at one time. Presently, Future and even more future is what that is getting at. So look, first of all, Jesus responds to them with a, a warning, right? He warns them that a sign will be that there will be many attempts to lead them astray. Many attempts to get them off mission. And one of those attempts will be false Christs, false teachers, who will come along and say, hey, remember, you know, I said that I would... Return, I would come again, here I am. And, and, and also some would come and say, he was not really the Christ, I am the Christ. And so he's warning them, don't believe them. So we also need to remember when Jesus taught them earlier in Luke 17, this would happen. There would be people saying, he's over there in the next village. In other words, come with us, we, we've seen him, he's over there, come with us. And in Luke 17, we went through this already, Jesus made it very clear to them. Listen, no one will have to tell you that I'm over there or I'm in the next village. It will be obvious to the whole world because in Luke 17, 24, Jesus said this, for as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in his day. It will be a big announcement. It will be a very big announcement. Everyone will know at that moment, Jesus is back. So history tells us that there were, in, in fact, many, many, many false messiahs after Jesus, leading all the way up to the destruction of the temple in AD 70. Jesus further tells them the time between his death, burial, and resurrection, and ascension, and the destruction of the temple will be a, a terrible time of war and strife. In other words, not, on, not only do not be led astray. But listen, I, I want you to be prepared. Now again, since Luke chapter 12, if any remember that, that introduction I gave to that chapter, I said, this is the point in time in Luke where he's turning to his disciples and he's going, okay, now I need to focus on you. I need to make sure you're ready. You need to be prepared. And he's doing it again right here. He needs them to be prepared. 
And so I want to suggest to you the same holds true for the church today. When Jesus ushered in his kingdom upon his arrival and then said he would establish and build his church, he never said it was going to be easy, did he? He never said it was going to be a rose garden, did he? He never said that. He never said you're going to have heaven on earth now as soon as you join the rock church. Good luck with that. Any church. No, that's not going to be easy. That would be void, that it would be void of trials and persecutions. In fact, all of the Gospels, all of the New Testament, the book of Acts, (laughs) makes it very clear that the bottom line is, becoming a Christian, joining the church means you're going to be in a fight. It's going to be war. There are going to be many, many, many battles, and these are going to continue until you go to be with Jesus or he comes again. It's not bait and switch. Christianity is not bait and switch. We just need to make that clear. And that's what Jesus is doing with his disciples here. He is preparing them for the reality of what's going to happen. The minute he ascends and the Holy Spirit comes upon them, war is going to break out. And it did. So in verses 10 to 12, Jesus reveals to them some more details about what will happen leading up to AD 70. He says nations and earthly kingdoms will battle for dominance. It'll just be like, you know, the the Republicans against the Democrats forever. Okay, I thought I would just highlight that, right? It's just going to be battles and wars in this world all along, but especially in those days. They will battle for dominance. The earth will also revolt via earthquakes and pestilences. Hello, COVID-19. Even the cosmos will appear to be unhinged through storms and unseasonal activity. But finally, finally, Jesus says, before all this comes to an end, he says, but before all this, What, good news? No. Before all this, they will lay their hands on you and they will persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. So you see it, right? The key to their persecutions and trials is his name's sake. That's why they were going to be, and that's why they were persecuted. And so what do you think that means? What does that look like? Well, how about the same reason why people today may not like the message we preach or what we believe about Jesus, right? How about that there's no other name under heaven by which you can be saved? The world loves that one, don't they? People love that, that there's no other way that you can say, you can't save yourself, there's no other religion, there's no other Buddha, there's no, there's no other way to God and to uh, his acceptance and his approval and forgiveness and eternal life with him except through Jesus. You know, the exclusivity thing? People love that, don't they? No, they don't. I didn't at one time. I don't know about you. People don't like that. That exclusivity is, I think, in a lot of places today, hated. So now look at this. Despite his warning, his preparing of them, this is amazing. In the midst of this, look, there's going to be fear, right? You're being persecuted. You're you're being thrown into prison. 
You're being hated by people. And then Jesus says in verse 13, these amazing words, this will be your opportunity. Your opportunity to bear witness. I got to, when I reread re, re that, yes, this week, it amazed me. I'd, I'd never seen that in Luke 21 before what he says to his disciples in Acts chapter 1. Remember that? What did he say? When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will be what? My witnesses. I got to believe the disciples remembered these, these things <laughs> and put this together. This is your opportunity. That's amazing. So basically, Jesus is saying, when you see these things happening, when it's getting really, really hard, now's the time, listen, now's the time when they're persecuting you, when they're hating you, when they're rejecting you, preach my name. Preach the word. Preach the gospel. That's what you do, right? That's what I do, right? That's what we do. Church, isn't it? Hmm. Well, the apostles surely remembered his words, didn't they? You remember the early days of Acts? I remember the, the early days, chapter Acts 4, 5, 6, 7. It's amazing. 4, 5, and 6 especially. What happened? They go out into the public square. They preach Jesus. They preach the name. They preach the gospel. And what happens? The religious leaders and the Romans even bring them in and say, stop it. They beat them a little bit and, and then send them off on their way. And what do they tell them to stop doing? Preaching the name of Jesus. And, and then what happens? After they've been beaten and whipped a few times and told to stop, what do they do? Of course, they, they go, they go well, we're not going to do that anymore. No. Actually, what they do is they go back to the church, the church gathering, and they just, woohoo! They, they're, they're actually, they actually tell the body, the other members of the church, how proud they are, are happy that we got beaten for Jesus. Go ahead, read it for yourself. They, they're actually excited about it. And then what do they do? They go out and preach the name some more. They keep doing it. They keep preaching the name of Jesus. Friends, I think about this that way, to this, th that this way today. We need to be thankful they did that. Amen? The church could have died. We need to be thankful, but we also need to remember there's really no difference between them and us. In verses 14 to 15, Jesus gives them and you and I comfort. Oh, boy, we do need it. But, then he, but that's what he does. He, he tells them, look, this is, it's going to be hard. But also when he gave the Great Commission, he says, but I will be with you always until when? Until the end. And look what he says here. Basically in verses 14 and 15, he says, don't worry about what you're going to say. Don't worry uh, and try to even write a script in advance. I will be with you. I will give you the words to utter. And you know what? The words that I will give to you will completely shut them down. Will make them look as silly as I have made them look. Those are words of comfort. Then, however, he adds a really hard part, I think, for them. But I think even more so for us here today. In verses 17 and 18, he says... You will be delivered up even by your parents, even by your brothers and sisters, by your relatives and by your friends, and some of you they will put to death. 
you will be hated for my name's sake. My name, my name's sake. Sorry. Is there any way that your preacher, your pastor, can sugarcoat that for you? Well, I'm not even going to try. Jesus didn't. And then some more comfort. Verse 19, he says, but not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance, your perseverance, you will gain your lives. Wow. In the next uh, four verses, five verses, verses 20 to 24, Jesus prophesies about the final destruction of the city of Jerusalem which we can only see, we can only see it this way. It's God's judgment on his people. It's his judgment on them for being unfaithful to him and to his word. And so the lesson in that for you and I here today is, listen, yes, God is love. He is. He most certainly is. However, his love must also be, be seen in the fact that he is just. He will not let wickedness, evil, unfaithfulness go unanswered or go unpunished. And I think we are all grateful for that today, especially when we look around in our world and we, we can clearly see some evil and wickedness in our day, in our, in our lifetime. And we are thankful that God is going to make it right. Are we not? We have to be thankful. He's also going to judge us. And we need to be thankful for that. God is just and, just and he will judge this evil world, which is amazing. So I also want us to be able to hear this from the Lord today. First, let's us, let us also remember that despite the fact that it's relatively safe in lovely old Squamish here and Canada and even the United States of America these days, it's relatively safe for us, right? But you do know that Christians are being persecuted and literally killed around the world for his namesake. You do know that, don't you? Do you remember the rise of ISIS? and the execution of men in particular who would not renounce the name of Jesus and convert to Islam, they were executed on video. There are Christian pastors in many parts of the world, including China, that are imprisoned and beaten and tortured. And what are, what are the government officials demanding? Stop preaching the name. And so we have great comfort here. And so I want to also add this. This might be a little hard, but I just have to add it because it's on my heart. I think our Christianity today in North America, as a result of, listen, the pressure, not persecution. Those are different things. But even as a result of the pressure, I feel it's become soft. Okay, I'll speak for myself. I feel our Christianity has become soft. We have somehow read into Scripture 
or at least our understanding of the gospel to mean that, sure, sure, of course, the early church maybe, uh, or maybe even to the time of the Reformation, of course, the early Christians and the early church had to suffer those things and be persecuted. I don't know, maybe we have the same attitude towards that as we do towards, you know, like in a few days, we're going to remember those who gave their lives on the battlefield during wars on November 11th, right? And we're like, yeah, well, they had to give their lives for, for our freedom. But surely, surely, now that they've done that in the early church and those who've gone to war have done that, we don't have to. They did it for us. And now we're free. You ever thought that? I honestly have. Clearly, obviously. So I wonder sometimes, the truth is, we don't wish to be persecuted, do we? None of us want to be persecuted. But here's the word. The truth is, Jesus says, you're going to be hated for my name's sake. So let me bring it home in conclusion for you this morning. When was the last time you felt absolutely hated and rejected by someone in your family, someone close to you, in your place of work, in your neighborhood and community because of your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and because of your proclamation of what His Word says? When was the last time? I'm asking myself. So do you know what I think is actually maybe part of the problem? Maybe we've come to believe that since we're supposed to love the Lord our God with all our hearts, minds, bodies, and soul, and love our neighbor as ourselves, which is true, that because we're to love those who are lost and far from God, that then the natural response, of course, of them is if we show them love, they're going to what? Love us back. Maybe that's wrong. Maybe that's wrong. Jesus wanted his disciples to know this. Some will love Jesus and then love you. Love you, like really love you. But the truth is, the majority will hate you just like they hated him. If you share his name and his word. Now, what are we going to do with that? What are we going to do with that? That's, that's a hard teaching, I understand. It's a hard challenge, I understand. Well, please hear me. I'm not suggesting we want to go out of our way to be hated. Not suggesting that at all. Christians have been doing that for decades, centuries, right? We've not handled certain sins in our world and our culture very nicely, have we? No. Some Christians have been and are frankly very unloving because they are very judgmental. So definitely not that. Definitely not that. So look, Jesus took this time on this day before his death, burial, and resurrection to warn his disciples what it would be like in their future, not just the future, their personal future, he also wanted to prepare them for the upcoming persecution. And finally, yes, he wanted to comfort them. And ultimately, that is my goal. Ultimately, that is my goal here today for you and for me, for all of us. It is 
I've been saying this for the past 10 years, and oftentimes when I say it, I think oftentimes people take it as me being a slightly overprotective dad and father. And maybe, maybe it's true. But what I've been saying is this. What I've been seeing happening in the last 15, 20 years in our world and in my life uh, causes me to have great, great concern for this generation. The people who are 20 to 40 years of age as the world around us is becoming more and more hostile to the name of Jesus and to the word of God. So my question for all of us today then is this. Are you prepared? Are you really prepared? Will you be strong? Will you continue to proclaim the name of Jesus at the risk of being rejected and hated by even your own family, as well as your community, possibly even losing your job because of it, and potentially even being beaten and attacked. Will we be brave to proclaim the name of Jesus and the Word of God so that just one more person gives their life and their heart to Jesus Christ? for eternity. I pray that we will all be strong, courageous. Pray with me, would you?